The following audios the expressed opinions of the hosts and guests and do not reflect investment advice or recommendations of any kind. All funny jokes or just jokes, so don't get it twisted. Live, man. It is March Madness. And I'm not talking basketball, Brandon. I am talking bank runs. Ooh, I'm glad we are talking about it. I'm glad we are talking about it. Buddy, here we are sitting in one of the best economic climates ever. Just kidding. It's terrible. <laughs> Every bank... Starting with Silicon Valley Bank seems to be losing their stuff. Yeah. And that's just killer. You know, do you see what Credit Suisse just put out? Sure, I did. Uh, well, tell me what just put out means like in the last five minutes. No. No. They got, yeah. got money from a, another partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, their Saudi great. partner backed out. Well, their Saudi partner, they- the back out there, man, the headlines were so fear driven that had nothing oh, yeah. with the back out. Did you see why they backed out? Um, it was a lot to do with something on the balance sheet, but I didn't get to oh, into it. I was trying to get what? Oh, no. If you look at the interview of the actual chairman who backed out, he literally says, we cannot give them any more money because we will exceed the 10% equity owner threshold. And if we exceed oh, yeah. the equity owner threshold, yeah. we subject to regulatory burdens that we don't want from Europe. They don't want European regulators looking into their bank. It's really exactly. down to. And I was like, man, all these headlines are like, oh, Saudis. Big, do- yeah, their largest backer oh, won't give them any more oh, money. Oh, man, yeah. so bad. I mean, just exacerbating the run so much more. And it was such a rational reason not to give them money that had nothing to do with them failing. So Yeah, I really wish people that run CNBC or anything like that aren't allowed to <laughs> Their own investment accounts because there's no way you can say, Oh, we're gonna run the story and then be completely unbiased in your own investments, right? Oh, not at all. Yeah, not at all. Like if you get a scoop on a story, it's technically insider trading, then you're not allowed to report it, but you're gonna report it because you're the news media outlet. Are you gonna pull the trigger on like shorting First Republic Bank? I think it goes the other direction. A quick, you know, $90 million. I think it goes the other direction, man. I don't think, I think that <laughs> they take a, a position, they have a position, and then all the news that comes in gets filtered according to their position. And so the stories get written, the insider information gets written based on the way they filter what comes in, right? What happened was, right, somebody's maybe short Credit Suisse. Information yeah. comes in that Credit Suisse isn't going to get funding from the Saudi bank. And they immediately filter that as it's because they're bad. And, and so they, they start writing stories that are like, no, but they, they filter that that and they write it that way. I'm going to fight you on this because that gets more clicks. Oh, people, people want to see and read. Oh no. What happened with this bit? Oh yeah. Drama. That's where they'll do that. I'm just saying you can't have full control over everyone's portfolios at CNBC or whatever media outlet i'm just picking on cnbc because they put out a ton of news there's got to be people there that are just shorting the heck out of tons of bank stocks based off of this rumor that rumor it's not founded truth or any factual evidence but they're getting some type of scoop and then they're just gonna make a killing on it which is exactly why i'm taking the exact opposite approach and every time they're down 
60% I buy. <laughs> it's been beautiful, dude. It's been like, it's, this yeah, is the over... very green accounts uh, since all of 22, really. I mean, it feels like, feels like being on top of the world. It is so funny. The volatility. You went in and bought a bunch of positions or do you buy options? Dude, you don't know about this? No, no. I bought, I bought in the positions. I didn't buy the, the options are way too expensive, dude. They're pricing in like 600% volatility. It was stupid. The volatility. Uh, oh yeah. 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 was crazy, which is what yeah, everybody's buying. Thought you meant. Everybody's, no, everybody's buying the options and they're stupid because buying the stock with that kind of volatility premium, buying the stock is actually probably better leverage. Um, it almost costs as much to buy a good option contract as it does just buy a hundred shares. It's crazy. So, yeah, I mean, I really think that an options contract was like roughly $1,500. Uh, whereas a hundred shares would have been two grand for FRC or somebody at 20 bucks. Yeah. And I was like, why would you not just buy the stock and have no time limit or anything? Yeah. If you bought it when first Republic, when it just got obliterated on Monday, I did. you'd be up. You'd be up a hundred percent. You get a hundred up over a hundred percent. Yes. Good grief. I'm up over a hundred percent on a couple of positions there, man. It's actually really solid. WAL too, and um, um, Pacific West Land Corp or, or PWAC or whatever. Yeah. Here's what I did, dude. When all the banks started panicking on Monday, I went to the stock screener. I screened for the biggest losses, and I, you know, I screened to financials companies yeah. with the biggest losses. It was all banks. Everything that was down more than 40%, I bought. I bought like seven or eight positions at that time. Um, and all of them. Look at you. Every single one of them is almost doubled. It's beautiful. I'm really proud of you. And I got That's... out of them, got back in. I've been I've been playing the game, dude. Playing the game. Wait, so did you sell? Did you freak out sold yesterday? Tuesday. Uh, some of them on Tuesday, some of them on Monday. First tranche. They went up 100% almost immediately. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm out. They did, yeah. And then no, they, they went, went down again. And then they went down again. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Did uh, you buy it again on Thursday? Or yeah. I'm sorry, Wednesday? Yesterday? Yes. Wow. And you, I mean, it's not up 100%. Up again. That, no, it's but... not up 100%, but I'm up again. Yeah. Good grief. Look at you. See, man, this is what separation looks like. You just, you took the gun, you pulled the trigger. It's powerful. It just doesn't make any sense, man. People are really freaking out for over something that that to me just it, it doesn't make sense to freak out over. Well, I mean, if you bought freaking Silicon Valley Bank, it's, it's gone, right? So but they've made it you clear. you chose a bunch of different ones, and thankfully everybody's normal, and you know they seem to be okay. And there was so, just I mean, a was complete it? overreaction. I, I don't remember the timeline exactly. I think Biden came out at about 1030 or 11 on Monday and said by any means necessary. That's like something. What he said. And it was literally 30 minutes after that, that I completed all the trades. Like as soon as the government came out and said by any means necessary, I was just like, no brainer, obvious, go do it. And then, yeah, they had to open up all of these, you know, quantitative easing, basically um, all of these routes for them to put their, crappy bonds to the government and then the government gives them cash so yeah the bank can hand the government 50 cents and the government's like here's a dollar back they can't fail dude how do they fail so yeah they've got a little extra protection there because banking is what a quote-unquote american staple like our banking system compared to pakistan's it's just we have such a belief and need for it 
that it drives so much of our commercialism and economy and all this stuff. Not like it doesn't do that in Pakistan, but there's that difference is, oh, I would so much rather trust a bank than anything else. And if that trust goes away, good grief. You're in trouble. <laughs> That's yeah, 2008, you know, I see 2009. On, I see yeah. on Twitter everybody freaking out like, oh, Bitcoin's the answer. And I'm like, bro, nobody can manage their operating cash flows of business with Bitcoin. Like they can't be right. like, oh, next, you know, I have to have this payroll account because in two weeks payroll's coming out. I'm going to put it in Bitcoin because in two weeks payroll could be gone. Yeah. Oddly <laughs> enough, I can't pay my mortgage with <laughs> cryptocurrency. You can't they do still, it. They still collect cash, which it's is crazy. stupid, apparently. So someday, oh, someday maybe, but not today. So, dude, I mean, it's just, I got a lot on these banks things, man. And people have been calling me, I had a client call me, telling me that it was all Trump's fault for rolling back Dodd-Frank. And really what this all comes yeah. down to is just like the symbiotic relationship between the government and the banks have gone nowhere. It's gotten, it's gotten nothing but stronger in that like Trump's rollbacks, dude, I read about it. Cause I, I argued with him. I was like, man, like the rollbacks to Dodd-Frank had nothing to do with this. Cause really the problem here is banks were told to buy really safe assets, not crappy Joe blow mortgage or whatever down the street who has no money. And sure. they did that. They said, okay, instead of doing sketchy lending, we'll just buy government bonds. And they bought a bunch of government bonds and the government was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of demand for our bonds. That's crazy. We haven't seen this before. Let's issue more debt. And the government took yeah. on more debt and all of those bonds went to the banks. And so that's yeah. kind of how inflation has gotten to where it is. But now the banks, it's not like 2008, man. It's not like Dodd-Frank would have saved us here. It's not like they had all of these assets that are really, really bad. They had guaranteed government bonds. Like it doesn't. Yeah. They, but banks, just inflation exceeded. What? A bank and, and interest rates, right? So then the government yeah. had to raise interest rates to stop inflation, which was caused because all of the banks were creating such a demand for their debt that they could just keep taking on debt and stimulating the economy. And now right. they have to raise interest rates to slow it down. And when they do, they kill the very banks that helped raise them up to where they are. Yep. It's such a weird cycle. Such And so, so now they're like, oh, no, wait, we will save you because we have to save you. Um, yeah. And, it's like, it's crazy, dude. So they're taking on their own debt on their books. The government's taking debt on their books that they issued to these banks years ago. Um, that's now worth nothing. It's like, <laughs> imagine, dude, I've been trying to come up with a good example of what it's like. It's like being a guy who goes and takes a bunch of credit cards and spins, 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 spins on the credit cards. Yeah. And, and then you're like, oh, crap. Uh, you know. I, I spent more money than what the credit card company could give me. I'll just like right. trade them. I, I, I can't think of how, I don't know. I'm trying to come up with a good example in my mind of what happened here. But what happened here was the government got drunk on debt to stimulate the yep. economy. They screwed over all of these banks. And now they're like, oh, I have to save you in order to continue taking on more debt. Yep. Whoops. This was way too much fun. We got really ahead of ourselves. Let's pull it back. And then at the same time, yeah, Fed Pal, uh, Jay, our boy Jay, Jay Dog, Jerome, he's just kind of, I think he's pissed because he can't keep hiking rates. He's like, this yeah. is the only action I can do to kind of control stuff in the economy because inflation has just gotten stupid because we've just issued so much. Mm -hmm. so that's so, where we're at 
it's just crazy that people are mad and they're like, oh, these banks were irresponsible. And it's like, well, actually, they just bought government debt. So really, the government was irresponsible. And, yeah, you know, they were just doing what they were told because that's literally all they're allowed to do. Um, so I don't know, man. I don't think anything could have saved it. I think uh, sure, the government's going to bail them out. And I actually I don't know if you saw my tweet. I am giving it a great. So here's the other thing is all the international banks are in the same boat. Right. Credit Suisse, a big part of their problem is increased rates. Credit Suisse, they're a little more sketchy. They are. And they're a big bank and they do sketchy things and they get in a lot of trouble all the time. Sure. A large part of their assets are government, U.S. government bonds. Yeah. And it's eating them alive. And so I, you know, I tweeted this out a few days ago. I said, I, I, I believe that there is a greater than 50 percent chance that we will see the first U.S. international bank bailout. And the U.S. Treasury will bail out Credit Suisse and buy back, do the same thing they're doing with all the banks here, and buy back all of their uh, their Treasury bonds uh, at par, even though they're worth no way. That. Um, and and because guess what happens, dude? I mean, it's it's all financial globalism so connected. If Credit yeah. Suisse goes under, all of the different hedges and things, counterparty risks that exist between Credit Suisse and J.P. Morgan and Bank of America and all of them, everything everything goes like. 2008 if credit suisse goes under and yeah. so the government's gonna have to step in because euro euro europe the europe countries they can't step in right the euro system and and uh all all the like split of power they can't step in and save credit suisse because germany will be like no i don't want to save them and france will be like i want to save them and you know whoever else like they won't be able to do it and so the u.s treasury is just going to be like they have to survive we'll do it we'll yeah we'll eat. and so I think there's a greater than 50% chance we see that before the end of the summer is credit Suisse gets bailed out by the U S treasury. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, if it starts to go under, I feel like everything is going to be put into perspective and seen as a complete overreaction and hopefully nothing. Negative well, it is in the U S but here's the, the, like, it's just like Europe doesn't have the backstop that the U S has. It's an overreaction of the U S and the U S came out and was like, we will give you your deposits. Europe hasn't yeah. done the Credit Suisse. Yeah. It's an overreaction because I, I was listening to this on the MFN podcast. There's of um, just the technology advances to wire myself $70 million out of my bank account because so of fast. freaking. Yeah. yeah. Like it takes me five minutes on my phone. I don't have to drive to the bank. I don't have to like, Give my ID documents. I don't have to do anything. Yeah, so like, it's all I'm, happening faster. Everything's happening. Yeah, they moved so. What was it? Forty something billion dollars in less than a day. Yeah, which that would <laughs> destroy anything. Yep. So that's just monumental. You and know what's so funny too is what? watching now all of the big banks. Have you seen their saving of FRC? No. The uh, plan to save FRC. Uh, JP Morgan, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs have all kind of agreed to, I think the numbers between 20 and 30 billion of uninsured deposits that they are going to put from their cash into FRC, right? So everybody's been freaking out, taking their money out of the regional banks and giving it to the big banks. And now the big banks the are big like, banks oh, are, we have so oh. much cash. We'll just take some of this cash and put it into the little bank so yeah. that it can survive. And it's like the money just went in a circle. It just went in yeah. a circle. And that's just all that it's doing. It's great. It's still at these <laughs> tiny bits. But it all is moving so fast, bro. It can all move so fast. I didn't see that happen. they did that. That's yeah. honestly not great. That happened at the I don't end know. of the day. 
that's why FRC pumped up. FRC was down like 30 or 40% today. And then it pumped up again. I think it's probably kind of up. I don't know. It might be green on the day. I haven't really looked in a couple. Interesting. Or so, but yeah. So the banks are going to start, the big banks are going to start bailing out those guys with uninsured deposits. Wow. Um, so what a that's world. wild. Yeah. If that, if that keeps going a little heavy, that means everything doesn't matter. Like you're just moving <laughs> money out of the bank to just get it put right back in the bank. That's exactly what people thing. are doing. People yeah, are and then if Chase yeah. gets the rug pulled out on them. Like that's so dumb. There should be an entire like rule or law against that. Like that, that really makes me mad. <laughs> they're actually doing that. I didn't see that. Uh, they can, man, they, these banks can't fail. The more the banks fail, I, it really is the case that if another one fails, people are absolutely going to lose their ass. Like they are going to go nuts. Yep. Um, and so don't let another one fail. Like that is the rule by any means, sure. as says Mr. Joe Biden by yeah. any means. So yeah, bro, every time they're down, this is not financial advice and it will make you throw up day to day watching the amount of, I mean, these things are swinging 50% in a day. It's crazy, but yeah, banks. Um, when it's down, <laughs> fly it in there, do it. It's yeah. Uh, let me let me pull up First Republic for a second. Not, I was it's looking not at the it. same story. It is not the same story. No, no, not at all. If I go back five years, let's go back 10 years. It was at, <laughs> it was at um, $38 a share. It is currently at $34.27 a share. I have it. It's at 20, 28 now. So it's moving. It, I mean, even since what you're looking at, I'm looking right now, it's at 28. That has dropped dramatically. Yeah. yeah. So I got in, I got my current position is in at $25. Um, I will probably, my goal, I might run the ups and downs. I'm going to run it right back to 104 or 100, right? 76 even. If this thing gets saved and it just fills the gap, it's back up in the 70s. And I've doubled my money almost twice. I've gone from 20 to 40 and then 40 to 80. I mean, I don't see why it wouldn't get back over 100. It could. Right? It could, and it honestly, like, start paying dividends again, and, and it's just like, okay, dividends yeah. are coming, and I can... Because you're smart, back. but there's billions of smart people who are like, oh, I can get in at, you know, $20 a share. When was your posi- when, entry? When'd you I don't go? have the other one, but it was about that. It's always been... 20? 20, and yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised I got in at 25. That was pretty recent. That was the, the most recent. It was probably 20 whenever I originally got in. Monday Crazy. got in when it was 73% down on Monday or something like that. So, wow. Well, here's where we're sitting. This is the new, <laughs> new world, which is great. Um, anyway, speaking of some more March madness, I've got I, just so much great news to tell you. So you hate, I wouldn't say hate, maybe not hate. You really don't care about, the basketball tournament that gets that phrase March Madness, correct? Well, I definitely don't hate it. I definitely don't hate it. And I'll even watch it once it gets deeper in. But I don't do brackets because I don't know anything. Um, and I'm not okay. enough to go pay whatever. I mean, five bucks. It's free. Isn't the, oh, okay. Well, who does? I mean, ESPN. I guess I could go make free ones. It's always people that are like, hey, man, we're doing, you know, we're doing a bracket. Five bucks. For, oh, like a challenge with friends. Free. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, no, you you can do whatever you want. There, I'm not here to lose my money. 
No. But what you should start paying attention to is there's this um, little, it's not well-known. He's an investor. He's a big fan of Creighton basketball. His name's Warren Buffett. Um, He's been very successful in his life. And about 10-ish years ago, he made this bet that if anyone made a perfect bracket, so you have 64 teams, multiple rounds, you have to choose every team correctly that advances to the next stage, which calculated out, I think, is a one in seven trillion chance or something stupid like that. But let's say you do it. He guaranteed a billion dollar post-tax net after taxes payout to anyone that did it. Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. You can look up this story. It was I want to say 2012, 2013, something like that. And it was because Creighton, really good team. Uh, and they had a guy named Doug McBuckets or McDermott on their team back then. And they had a lot of heat going into the tournament, as in they could potentially win it all. And he loves that school. And he wanted everyone to make a bracket on this website that he made or somebody made for him, obviously. And then a billion dollars. And that got like, <laughs> I want to say a hundred times more views and visits than ESPN's and everyone else's because the guy is worth, he's worth a few billion himself. He's pretty good. But man, if you actually could build something out that just broke it to build a perfect bracket, obviously they probably limit you on the amount of entries you can put in and things like that. But a billion dollar payout is just unheard of, right? Like companies dream of being paid that much money for like being acquired or something. Like Instagram got that from Facebook. Yep. And I mean, ton of work, hard work, sweat and tears went into that. It's like one of those dream scenarios that you'll just never hear of. And Can I we just have fun with numbers real fast? I want something with it. Yeah. What is the fastest? Let's say you automated this, okay? And you tried to build brackets. What is the fastest amount of time you think it would take to enter a bracket? Let's say you got to like start it, run the run, whatever, enter it. How, how, how long do you think it would take per, per entry? Are we just putting it like into something like ESPN where you just click? And then click, 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 and then you're done. Yeah, sure. Um, I would say I would record it. Wait, record what? Something that would like record it online that says you made this bracket. So anything that is not like I wrote it on a piece of paper, I can prove yeah. that I made a perfect bracket. So how long would it take per per entry? I mean, are we talking probably not even minute, maybe minute, but like no, it would take a minute. It'd probably be a couple of minutes because. There's 64 teams, right? So you got 32 clicks. If you do one per, you know, uh, second, that's still half a minute right there. Then you just have to keep clicking through for like the next round, next round. I would estimate it, because you can't just go so fast that whatever system you're inputting it doesn't catch it or it just like freezes. So I would say one per second. You have 32 and 16, 48, and then you have eight 56 then you have four which would be 60 and then you have 
one after that. So it's just right over a minute. If it was like one per second and you were just like, click, click, click. But it was also a program that just like randomly selected it with some bias, like not picking a 16 seed to beat a number one seed, something like that. But like everything else is fair game. So um, I just I just ran some numbers, just some fun with numbers. Sure. So let's assume points. it takes a minute and ten seconds. I wish seconds. we had a I wish we had a really good understanding of what the odds truly were. But I just went off of your number, which is probably pretty close to right of like one in seven trillion chance. It really is. It's I mean, the, 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 the I translation say. of that, the translation of that means that you need seven trillion entries to hit every possible permutation of the bracket, which is probably pretty close to true. I, I don't know off the top of my head. It's probably a really big number like that. So yeah. let's say you had to do seven trillion entries. And I gave us a little bit of a handicap. I said it took one microsecond. So I did 60, 60 seconds. One one below that, 60 microseconds per second, which I guess is probably what a microsecond would be. I don't even know. Anyway, I just divided by an extra 60. Uh, and then I divided in days, hours, days, all of that. Uh, if you had something that did it every microsecond entered a bracket, it would take 4,861 days to get every permutation of the bracket. So it, it would be impossible. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. Uh, no, it's statistically impossible. It is the most yeah. impossible thing to ever happen. And yeah. I will say right now, as of this recording, I made 25 brackets. I only have one that is still perfect yeah. right now after three games. I thought it was like the first day today. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely. The it is the first day, day today. So. We are three games in. So three actual results. And You're one out of 25, it. I have that as correct. You're already so, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it just removed, so, you know, it's a great one. bet on it's a great bet on Buffett's part, but sometimes, sometimes miracles do happen. And no, it's a it's the most phenomenal marketing you could ever do because yeah. you can feel absolutely safe about a billion dollar bet not going that way for someone who's like a one in seven trillion chance. Well, it's actually getting it. He just handicaps everything. I mean, that's exactly how he came up to a billion dollars. He's an insurance guy, right? I mean, he knows what his total loss on something like this is versus the probability of it happening. He's like, yeah, a billion dollars is is probably the for zero premium. I would be willing to insure this for a billion dollars. It's the fastest way to a billion that I can think of. Yeah, no joke. Like, if you could just and what did I do? I probably spent an hour ish just monday night just we were just hanging out watching whatever show and i just knocked out 25 brackets i thought oh this will be fun i did the same thing last year never will i get past the first round there are a handful that actually do on espn and these other places and then (laughs) you go through their names and you can see the standings and the rankings you're like these guys are gods how did they do this Mm -hmm. they just get you just have to have the insane amount of luck. But if I ever make it ever past the first round, because even just getting 64 teams playing each other, so 32 games correct, all 32 correct. If I ever do that, I'm 100% calling up Mr. Buffett and saying, hey, we should talk. I can only get past the first round. I know it's not a billion. How do you feel about 200K? 
Yeah. Have you ever read his coin <laughs> flipping story? Uh, no. Okay. So he's got this thing where he talks about investment management. Okay. And it's interesting because this is what an argument that a lot of people use against him. A lot of people use against him, especially when they're like going with rational market, you know, markets are rational. You can't know the price of something. You can't know what direction it's going to go, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, they always use this coin flipping example, which is like, Hey, uh, if you had everybody in the world flip a coin and if it landed up heads, they get to go to the next round. And if it ended up tails, they were out and you mm. had to flip and flip and flip. Right. And I don't remember the numbers. I mean, he actually has specific numbers going down, but that's all this is right. That's all these, the March madness is it's like, if each one flips a coin, one goes up, one doesn't, um, yeah. It gets to a point where he's like, yeah, you know, after call it 10 rounds, there's probably only, I don't know, maybe 10,000 people that are still in the, that have, that have hit heads 10 times in a row. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you know, once you get to that point, those people, they start writing books about the perfect way to flip a coin and how mm. there's all of these right ways to do things just like investors would do. Right. Where they're like, yeah, yeah. they don't attention to the fact that it's probably just luck they've landed heads um so anyway this they're is like a, i should write a book <laughs> this is what everybody says about warren buffett is that he's just the guy who flipped heads so many times he's like that one anomaly that hit flipped heads so many times that now he's just like at the end um and so he has a response to that which doesn't matter but it's very interesting that's the same concept and there's a lot of numbers and and like statistical analysis that goes into that that's yeah, I've heard him talk about, you know, how and why he's been so successful in terms of growing what he's done. I mean, Geico and Coca-Cola, he just looks at it as I just found these super big winners. I was able to just get lucky on a handful. And that really does help out the entire portfolio in yeah. Berkshire Hathaway. Right. For sure. So he's not doing the VC let me invest in 10,000 and I just need, you know, eight or nine to hit. Yeah. But that's not his style. Yeah. At all. Yeah. No, but he'll do super heavy due diligence and he'll not have explosive unicorns like Airbnb or DoorDash or whatever, but he'll get, you know, Coca-Cola for like the same value that was back in the, you know, forties, fifties, sixties. And then now what it is today and Geico and these other things. I mean, it's just, yep. he's, he's at a good smart. business run by good people and his unicorns are, it'll, it'll be a unicorn in 20 years. Um, I mean, and he's not diversified. And so when I say, when I say flipping the coin thing, it's like when people argue about fundamental analysis versus business analysis versus market tech, you know, technical analysis, all that stuff. Yeah. People say that he is crazy and that you should just be indexing and that he is an anomaly who flipped heads enough times. Um, his response is, well, actually, if all of those people who flipped heads all lived in the same town, you would probably question, okay, maybe is there something to what they're actually, <laughs> you know, if they're not geographically, sure. now, you'd be like, wow, that's weird. And he's like, our town is Graham and Dodd town is what he calls it. And that's uh, the, the intelligent investor town. And he's just like, there's so all the investors who do that dot and Graham, you know, somehow they end up being those weird monkeys that flipped heads, whatever, all those times. So yep. something to it. That's his answer. But yeah. And then, you know, take on it. you know, his famous thing of, uh, 
sometimes there are deals that are so good that you would be stupid not to have 50% of your net worth in it. That's what he says. So that's his not being diversified. If Coca-Cola is a good deal, don't yeah. net worth into it. What are you doing? Don't be stupid. Yeah. He's just looking at something that just has the best growth, best margins. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, man. Well, yeah, those are a couple of things that I wanted to hit on. Obviously, get some good input from you. Um, what do you got on your end? Man, the banks were it. Uh, the banks were all I wanted to talk about today. I think that it's what everybody else is talking about. It's whatever on everybody's mind. Um, yeah. So uh, that's that's. Well, it. then let's play our favorite game, and here's where I add the uh, game uh, song music. What is the next decision by Jerome Powell? What's he gonna say? Holy crap! Who knows, man? Well, that's why uh, it's a game, point, man. At this point, I don't feel like it matters if they raise rates, um, you know, because they've already created that backstop for deposits. So mm. no matter how much and all these banks have realized these losses that they're claiming, you know, like these are these are held to maturity or whatever losses that that are shadow losses, if you will. I mean, those those bonds are going to come back and pay out full anyway. It's just they're going to do it in three years. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, at this point, man, if they raise rates and the banks can't handle it, they're just going to put all of their, all of the, all of the bonds that went down in value to the government and take cash instead and then handle deposits. So, yeah, it almost ruins the value of an interest rate hike and the interest rate hikes are already, have you seen, um, you had to have seen what's his name from uh, Citadel, his comments on what rate hikes are like, right? Where he was like, no, hey. what did he say? He said rate hikes are like doing surgery with a dull knife. Um, it, it is, man. I mean, he's like, you know, there, there are sectors. Tech is struggling, which is strange. It just is kind of because of a dry up of liquidity. Um, there are sectors that get hit by interest rate hikes and sectors that, that are not very directly infected, directly affected. The ones that are sure. affected are manufacturing because they have long lead times, long payout structures. They have interest rates associated with purchase orders, uh, real estate, yeah. obviously, um, and banks. And those are the only three that are directly impacted when an interest rate happens, an interest rate change happens. Sorry, construction, I guess, if you don't include them in real estate, but kind of same thing. Um, those are the only ones. So when an interest rate hike occurs, Facebook's not in trouble, not directly. The mm. minute it happens, Facebook's not directly in trouble. But all of those that we just discussed, all of their stuff changes immediately. Immediately they are in trouble. And so it yeah. really is trying to shut down the economy by hurting three parts of it. And you're doing surgery with a dull knife, man. I mean, you're not really hitting everything the way you want to. So yeah. I think There's something interesting too that you're exactly right. Tech has just gotten obliterated. But that's where you see the difference between Dow and S&P. S&P has just been filled up with more and more tech companies inside of it, right? And the Dow, not as much. And you could see, I just pulled it up to make sure, because I saw this the other day. If you stretched it out a year from like March 6th to March 6th or something, um, on the Dow, 2022 to 2023, it was actually up. Yeah. It was year over year growth. From those two days right um now of course then banking collapse and everything happened so it's back down 
but it did not get as destroyed as S&P did where, or even uh, obviously the NASDAQ, right? Where just tech carried that weight all the way down. And so people that are just, oh, they have that exposure, but no, you know, Dow Jones index exposure, whatever, really feeling the pain, but then they feel the good stuff too since December, right? Where Dow Jones hasn't gone up that much since December 31st compared to the S and P. Yep. So interest rates playing a part. I would say the tech companies that don't make money, they're the ones that are in trouble. And there's a lot of them. Those are tons. Those are almost every startup. And then still a ton of public companies that are just not profitable. It's just a model that's like, hey, we can lose money forever because money's cheap and doesn't matter. But all of a sudden, I mean, they're not directly impacted, but because of what is happening, they become impacted. And yeah, I mean, they lead a big part of the drawdown. And I think a lot of them will go away. I, I, there's people are still hanging on right now. They're going to start dropping. They got to in the near future. So, I think they're in a position, you're right. They're too big to not be successful. And if you want to be a company that just <laughs> loses money hand over fist, you need to be tiny. You need to be like starting this month as a company yeah. and then when the economy turns around in x number of months or years you're going to be really good mm-hmm. hopefully mm-hmm. but my guess is Feddy jerome powell he's going to hit it pretty hard with the 25 i think so too basis points I and then i think he's going to just keep doing that month over month because that's all they can do yep i it's think he's going to be that and i think that the day he does that I'm going to buy more bank stocks because they're going to collapse. And I'm going to be like, yep, rip that up. Um, yeah. Man, don't play ahead of yourself. I mean, if they drop significantly, yeah, you know. That's exactly right. Just... Yeah, if they drop. I have a feeling that he's – I'm on board with you. I have a feeling that he's going to raise and do a 25-bit bump. I know that a lot of people are pricing that in. And Goldman Sachs came out and said there was a 100% chance he wasn't raising rates. And I was like, yeah. no. How do you get paid to be an analyst at Goldman Sachs? Sounds like a Jim Cramer call. Um, But anyway, so my my scenario is like, if he doesn't, bank stocks may rally. If he does, which I feel like he will, bank stocks will probably go right back down, right? Retail, everybody's super interested in the bank stocks all of a sudden. And uh, when they do, I will be there to scoop them up. I mean, it's not a bad call. It'll be beautiful. So I love that people are looking at regional banks now all of a sudden, you know, I've been doing that since 2020. I have a big long list of all these regional banks I've been watching. Of course you do. Very interesting business. Um, They all have had such good PE like margins for a long time. Like they just sure. kind of make very consistent, good money and pay very consistent, good dividends for the most part. So, and their stocks <laughs> before this last week, hardly move. Yeah. You know, they did get pretty good. Uh, and, you know, fat over 2021. They did. That's uh, 2020, right? Well, but, you know what happened is they got a ton of deposits. So I started watching sure. regional banks because I started realizing that all of these regional banks, after uh, stimulus checks and after PPP, the deposits on the federal balance sheet that they'll report deposits of all the banks in the United States, or whatever. Right. Massive, massive increase. And these banks had deposits that were like so much higher than their like t- 
total net asset value and everything like that. And I was like, yo, really? these banks, I mean, I had a whole write up on it. I was like, banks have so much money that they don't have anything to do with it. Like they can't take sketchy risks anymore. So they just have stuff in cash. Like yeah. they, they can't do anything. And so lo and behold, they buy government bonds. And had I bought them in 2021 or 20 early 2021, I'd be licking my wounds right now. So I'm glad I didn't, but it was pretty yeah. clear. Like they needed a run up because deposits were just rolling in, rolling massive. In. Yeah. And they didn't put any money into uh what was it? Silvergate that SBB yeah. did. So yeah. don't have FTX collapse, which collapses something else, which then collapses, you know, Silicon how, Valley Bank. And how funny are people that geographically, because FRC is in San Francisco, that and and Pacific West Bank or whatever, uh, like they're all kind of oh yeah, that, with zero crypto exposure, yeah, and, that and they came zero out. and and the, what people don't understand these regional banks are not like big banks. They aren't like there's not a bunch of crazy interactions between them, de- derivative interactions that make them all tie together. Absolutely yeah. different banks, different customer bases, different banks, different like just different. But mm-hmm. people are like, oh. Because one of these failed, all the other ones, and all, all the other regional banks that aren't even in California or anything. like Well, because they're just going off that 2008, 2009 yeah. memory. They're like, oh, they contagion. This is going to be really bad. They don't and, understand. It's like, yeah, they don't understand that regional banks are regional. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I, I think it's going to be a good learning point. If I were to say this is my favorite part of the segment before we get to our questions from the audience. My favorite part of this segment is saying stupid predictions that won't happen. I will think that interest rates will continue to increase for a full another point, at least four more. And then I think it stops. And I really hope I'm right. But if we go throughout the end of the year and we just can't get inflation under control, I I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's just going to be a terribly messy recession. Um, but if we have to do interest rates for a little bit, I think we're still going to be on a good path to get to my double digit 10% at least uh, increase for 2023. That would be great. Don't know if it'll happen. I think that interest rates will continue to rise. I also saw an interesting data that I need to share with you, a table that showed the first Fed pivot and decrease in rates and the time to market bottom during a recession where the Fed cuts during a recession. Where is this? We need to be uh, talking about this the whole time. On this table, it was very interesting. Hold on, let me give you a little bit of a concept here. I can just throw out a few numbers here so that you know please, uh, what, what we're looking at. Uh, let's see, here it is. Okay, so let's use um, 2001 for an example. Mm-hmm. So 2001, uh, the Fed's first cut was in January of 2001. And the S&P, so that's whenever they were like, okay, this is a recession, we need to cut rates. The S&P did not bottom until October 2002. 21 months between the first cut during a recession and the bottom. And the bottom Ouch. was 2% below whenever the first cut happened. 21 months between the pivot and then the bottom? Yeah. 2007 to 2009 recession. The first Fed cut was in September of 2007. The S&P bottom in March of 2009. 17 months between the two. 55% decline in the S&P 500 after the first Fed cut. 
all of these. I mean, there's a whole list of them where the first Fed cut happened and how how low the S&P went after that. So everybody out here is, you know, praying on a Fed cut and they think the market's going to rally. And in history, it hasn't. It has taken months after a first Fed cut for the market to years almost seventeen is almost yeah, a year and almost, a half. Sometimes years. Uh, so when did when did they drop uh, the Fed? Was it October? What do you mean? When? What are you talking about? They oh, you're the saying Fed like, hasn't cut rates yet. The Fed hasn't cut rates yet. Oh, you weren't talking about fifty basis points to twenty five basis points. You're talking like no cut, or I'm sorry, no cut. Hike. When they cut, no hike when they cut. When they come out and say we're going to drop oh. interest rates, when they come out and say we're going to drop interest rates, the time from that announcement till the bottom has been this in a recession. So obviously that doesn't happen whenever it's not a recession and they're like, hey, we're going to cut interest rates. The market's good during a recession where those right neg- yeah. negative GDP shows up. So it happened in the fastest one was in 1969, 1970. It was three months until the bottom occurred. And there was an 18% decline after that. Um, other than that, it has been over a year every single time. 13 well, months. Do you have time. instances where it wasn't a recession? Uh, no, they won't count. They don't count that, right? So if it's not a recession and the Fed cuts rates, the market doesn't bottom because I guess there's not a recession. It would be very hard to count that. Yeah. Um, so, so you just have to hope that it's not a recession. It's so a being recession. In. I don't know. Banks don't fail in good economies. That's that's my only answer. Is <laughs> oh man. So well, I think we're uh, in a recession. Here's a, here's a nice message to everyone trying to retire in the next couple of years. You're not. Yep. Um, it's not going to happen and good luck. So here's my, so here's, so this goes back to my big prediction. I bet that the fed will not cut rates, uh, until maybe August at best. Sure. So at, in August, they may start cutting rates again. It will not be until 2025, uh, when the market S and P 500 will bottom. And it will bottom. I'm going to say it's going to bottom at, I'm going to say January 2025 is the S&P market bottom for this recession. I say it's going to bottom 35% down from where it is today. Um, You're the worst. And the Fed first Fed, first Fed cut will be in August. And it is 33% from uh, right now. Yeah. Yep. So that's you're what saying. It went down 55% after the first cut in 2008. The average, actually, there's not a good average. Um, so in 1990, sure. 1989, 1990 recession, it went down 8.2% in 16 months after a fed cut. So 8.2% mm-hmm. is not bad. The next one is 18%. And then after that, it's 23%, 40%, 42%, 55%. Okay. So, so we're at right now. Well, let's just look at S and P. You think the S and P will go down 33%. That puts it at 2,700. We were at 2,700 in the S&P January of 2019. Yeah. Right after really bad into the year in 2018, right? So still even like part of 2018, we were at 2,700 in the S&P. So that doesn't even include where we were at at the peak. What was the peak? 480 almost? 470? Yeah, so it'll go from 470 to 2,700, which is... 50%? 50%? Almost 50. It's like 45% decrease. Yep. That's my call. That's my call. And it sucks. But I think that it will bottom in January of 2025. And 
than January. I'm going to call no recession, and everyone's going to be okay with going down from 4,800 to what are we at? What was the bottom? 3,600, 3,700 in okay. December. Now, a cut, then, a cut could happen this month. I mean, who's, who's to say that they're not going to come out and cut rates after a bank failure like they did in 07? No, they, they, they're going to do 25 bips. There's no way that they don't. And yeah. they're like, hey, we're going to do 25 bips and everybody chill out. No banks will fail. And then Jerome, he's going to pull off the soft landing three more interest rate hikes, inflation goes significantly lower. Everyone's really happy. And then we'll still end up this year at about 430 in the spot. So 4,300, huh? Is the market bottom. So you think the market has already bottomed? I'm saying it bottomed in, uh, yeah, in October. Okay. That's that's my prediction. And this is a soft landing. Let's see when it would have... Yeah, October 10th, 14th. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. 3,500, 3,550 was spot or S&P, right? Hey. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to say that's that's not a wild call. I don't think that's, well, actually, I guess it maybe is a wild call. I don't know. That seems like a rational call. It is a complete optimistic view that we won't hit a recession. Yeah. And it will be potentially completely wrong. We'll go down another 33% from today. I do hope I, mine is completely wrong. I do hope mine is completely wrong. But I looked at these numbers and I was just like, wow. This All right. Be- Let's end with this. Let's put a $10 wager on the bet. Pass. On the bet. On on this. It's 10 No, it's $10. If we are at 430 or higher, I win. If we are at on the spy. If we we're at, what would that put you? It would be going down. It's at 395 right now. My we got to be 360 or lower. So I can't make if that it's call. what? My call wouldn't happen until 2025. My okay. call would bottom January 2025. Down that 2700, I guess, is if that's. What are we going to be down by the end of the year from right now? Then? No clue. It could be chopping make- all the way through. All right. I'll give you really safe. If we're down 380, 380 or lower, you win. So if it's anything between 430 and 380, nobody wins. Can we take a uh, trip back to Warren Buffett land? Warren Buffett <laughs> you want a billion? Willing, will it, Warren Buffett is willing to make a billion-dollar bet on something like that because he's guaranteed to be okay. He would never make a $10 bet on, on something like this. He wouldn't. <laughs> Absolutely wouldn't. <laughs> that's, he is so frugal, bro. He's so frugal. He is like, yeah, no, I'm not going to lose money on something that's actual gamble, but I'll, I'll go do not gambles. Can't do it. All right. We, we'll deal with this off the pot. It's not going to be for money. We can be frugal. It'll there be for go. something Let's else. It'll be money. for work that you have to do and I have to do, and we know that we don't do it. But okay. we have to knock it out. So I'm going to make you do the work that I know you don't want to, and you make me do the work that I have to do. How about that? That's perfect. Delightful. All right, so we're going to end this call with a listener's question. We're super appreciative of you guys giving us questions. This one is from Danny in Rhode Island. Danny says, hey, guys, really enjoy what you guys talk about. Um, If you were to estimate exactly what, I should do with my 401k if we go into a recession 
limited mutual funds, things that I can use like that, how would you structure that 401k? Once again, this is not investment advice. Thank you, Danny, so much for asking that. Brayden, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to say, so hard. yeah, it can is hard. Danny, can we tell no, Danny? This is what every listener wants to know. Hey, we're about to hit a recession. What do I do with all the mutual funds? I just want to have in my 401k. I just wish I could look at Danny in the eye and say, Danny, how old are you? <laughs> uh, because that is really the key question, man. I mean, if you are, if you are, if you are our age or younger, right? If you're under the age of 30 and you got money going into your 401k, I'm still so aggressive in a 401k allocation. It's like, yeah, I'm going all in. I don't care if the market's going down. Doesn't matter. I'm gonna keep buying this exact same allocation. Market's gonna go down 33% according to you off this last statement. And you're yeah. saying I'm ready to just lose that and more by being more aggressive. Well, think about it this way. Every month they're putting into that 401k and that money's getting dollar cost averaged in. If they don't have that allocation, the dollar cost averaging isn't occurring. So yeah, it's going down 33%, but they're buying stuff on sale for the next two years. Um, So absolutely, absolutely keep that allocation and uh, maybe even up the amount of money going into the 401k. Like it's, it's, it's decisions like this where people are like, oh my gosh, I'm losing money in my 401k. I'm going to put less there and I'm going to have more in the bank just in case. And do so you rather DCA dollar cost average into these aggressive assets that over the next year and a half may just suck? Yes. Or not suck, but just like really not. They're going to lose money. Well. They're going to lose yeah. money. But you're buying it at that discount all the way down because, you know, the peak was December 2021. And you're like, we'll just ride that rocket ship back up. That's it. And, and I'm saying and I'm money back into it. It's going to the, the market will go up. The economy will continue to go forward. Uh, this will be yeah. a long or short hiccup. Who knows? But I'm taking it a step further, man. And it's the it's the classic Chinese handcuff model of people always do the exact opposite thing they should be doing because it feels right. For everybody that is out there that is like, I am going to stop allocating my 401k or I'm going to allocate less or whatever. They should be doing the Chinese handcuff exact opposite and people should be increasing the amount of contributions to making their 401k if they can, if they're not already at limit. If I, if I were in their shoes, right. And I'm getting monthly payments uh, and, and it's going to a company 401k, as long as my yeah. company is not going to go under. So I guess it kind of depends on your company too, right? Danny, who do you work for? Man? <laughs> you work for a crappy tech No company? clue. No, we're going to assume he works for Coca-Cola. Okay. Right. Yeah. You are for somebody that's going to be around and survive the recession, dude, I, I would, I would increase my allocation so much and I would live more poor through the recession and just dump all of that extra money into the 401k. Cause you're dollar cost averaging. That's what okay. I'm, I'm Danny, but I'm, I'm all right. We've got some news for you. Danny was an idiot. He was born in 1959. He was oh, looking to retire. Tough. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's He's a lot tougher. 64 this year. Okay. Was thinking he would to retire at sixty five next year. How does he? How does he invest his four hundred one k, Braden? I think it's the other way for for old Danny, uh, old old literally old Danny, old Danny. Uh, in my opinion, and and maybe you have some pushback here is uh, allocations is bonds, right? Obviously, allocate to bonds. Bonds are going to keep going down in principle as interest rates go up, mm-hmm. but. Historically, in a recession, bonds do really great, really, really great. The first cut that occurs, those bond values are going to increase in value substantially. 
the next one, they're going to keep going up. So even as the market continue goes down, continues to go down after the first Fed cut, those bonds sure. fuck it up. And I would do the exact same strategy. I would say, Danny, if you really want to be able to retire in three years now or whatever, man, put more max out that 401k and every month yeah. put it in while you're, while we're in this process, when you're losing, increase the amount of cash going in. That's the, that's the thought. So, so what if I have this question and then he doesn't, but this is something I've gotten and I think it's good of, Hey, mutual funds that just give me a crazy good yield dividend, right? It's made up of Coca-Cola, Kinder Morgan, oil and gas companies, right? Should I put a ton of my money in that? That may go down in price, but I think spitting off 7%, 8%. I mean, I guess so. If that's an option, uh, I don't know a lot of mutual funds. Maybe there's a large cap mutual fund there that that is actually spitting off some sort of reasonable dividend. But in most cases, sure. I say that those aren't, those aren't going to exist. Um, and so you're yeah. probably, it's probably safer. If Danny has that, that's great. That's a great 401k allocation. But yeah, I've seen some, but I, I don't know what the options are, right? The problem really 401k is. plans are great because you get the best thing known to man, free money in a match. That's why yep. you should always just take as much advantage of that as you can. And then after that, it's uh, totally up to you. So, but good question. Good answer, man. You were ready for that. Oh, yeah. Totally ready. <laughs> Danny, are you 24 years old or are you 64 years old? I got who you. Do you. Who do you work for, Danny? How old are you? What, you know? Oh, you, you got to hate all the questions that, that just pop up whenever you hear something like that. Danny, do you have kids? What's your savings like? You know, like what else you got going on? You got other IRAs? <laughs> so, yeah, my house just burned down. I lost my dog. So. There's a lot for Danny, but. You know, we basically fit Danny into a mold. And I think those are the two answers I would do in that mold. Um, the real answer, though, is is no matter how old you are at this point in time as the market's going down, whenever you see red in your 401k consistently, you should be increasing the amount of money you're putting into it. Wow. Wise words from Braden. I concur. Um, I would also say just add in as much diversification as you can. Um you really don't need to be playing games crazily when you're in a recession and the economy is tanking and, you know, nobody knows what they're doing in the White House or Federal Reserve. So do what you can and just put everything everywhere. And I agree with Braden. You buy more as uh, everything is kind of going down. So good stuff, B. I think that's it for today. Um, thank you guys for listening and hit us up. You know, 737-210-3054. Text us all your questions. We love it. Cool.